This message was presented at the GYC to the end in Houston, Texas. For other resources like this, visit us online at gycweb.org. Father in heaven, as we open your word again, Lord, for the final time in this seminar, we want to thank you um, for speaking to us. Father, we just, we desire another blessing. We ask God as we study this character of Samson, as we read through his story, as we pull out the flags, as we pull out the questions that we might have, that you will bless this time that we have here. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So keep your finger in Judges, Judges 13, 14, 15, that's fine. And we'll go to Hebrews. Hebrews 11. Now I am not a mind reader, to which I'm grateful of that. So I don't know exactly what you guys are thinking when you say Hebrews 11, but I do have an idea. And I think the idea goes something like, this. Hebrews 11, verse 32. And what shall I more say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon, and of Barak, and of Samson, and of Jephthah, of David also, and Samuel, and of the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in fight, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. And it goes on, and it goes on, and it goes on. So I'm assuming here that when I ask you if Samson will be in heaven and you say yes, You're saying so on the basis that Samson is counted as one of the prestigious members as what many call the Hall of Faith. How many of you, that was your reason? So everyone else that said Hebrews 11 was looking at a completely different text. Hebrews 11 is not a role of Scripture that tells us who will make it to the kingdom. Hebrews 11 is called, by many, the Hall of Faith. And I would argue that just because someone is mentioned in this chapter doesn't mean that they're going to be saved. Now, I'm not an authority to say who will and who won't, and for that I'm grateful. But in looking at the Scriptures... I see a clear difference between those who executed great acts of faith and faithful people. I think there's a difference between faithful people and people that do great acts of faith. There's a lot of faithful people that do great acts of faith. But if I asked you if Samson was a faithful man, then you might say no. But if I asked you if he, if he did great acts of faith, you would undoubtedly say yes, some of the greatest recorded in Scripture, mind you. 
So if I was here today to demonstrate to you a miracle, a great act of faith, do you think that guarantees me a spot in heaven? Hmm? If I showed you a great act of faith right here, let's say that someone came running down the hall and they were demon-possessed and I just stood there, I raised my hand and I cast the demon out of them and they were a completely new person. A great act of faith. Does that now guarantee me a spot in heaven? Someone might write about me, right? Someone might immortalize my name until it's burnt up at the end of time. But does that mean I'm guaranteed a spot in heaven? No, it doesn't. And so I ask you again, will Samson be in heaven? How many of you would say yes? A lot less hands. A lot less hands. Not because I don't think I've been able to convince you otherwise, because I haven't tried, but just because I think you're thinking a little bit now. And, and those that kept your hands up, I'm not saying that you're not thinking, I'm, I'm assuming that you're thinking even more, now you've got even better reasons as to why you think he will be. And no, it's not for us to decide, but it is for us to think about. Was Samson a faithful man? Now here's the thing. Here's the thing. I actually have a, um, I'd like to show you a, a chart, a graph. Here's a quote from Review and Herald, August 16, 1892, paragraph 2. Our characters are not to be frighted by smooth words and fair speeches manufactured for set times and occasions, but by the spirit and the trend of the whole life. The trend. What is a trend? Does, does a trend mean that you just started and never changed? No, it means that there's perhaps some flexibility, but there was a trend. An upward trend or a downward trend. A positive correlation or a negative correlation. Abraham can be our first example. If there was a chart of Abraham's life, it might look something like this. He was called, he showed faith. And then he showed a lack of faith. And then his faith built up and it built up, but then he showed a lack of faith. And then his faith built up and built up and built up. You can see that the trend is upwards. Throughout Abraham's experience, he's coming closer to God. Does he have missteps? Does he fall? Yes, but the trend is, is as he dies, you can tell that this man is much closer to God than when he began. He's growing in this relationship. I would argue that Samson's is a little bit more like this. That he starts off in a pretty good place, but then he messes up. But then something great happens, but then he falls, and he falls deeper, and he falls deeper. But then something great happens, but then he falls, and he falls, and he gets a little bit better, but he falls back to where he fell from, and he gets a bit better, and, and then he goes right down to the end, but then he has this miraculous ending. So is it just about the ending? I don't think the ending is everything. Should I tell you why? Because there's one chart that I haven't put up here, and that's the chart of Gideon. Because Gideon's chart 
The brother was faithful, 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 and then right at the end, plummeted into idol worship. But guess where Gideon is? Hebrews 11. So Samson can't really be in there for his last act of faith if Gideon is in there even though he has his final act of apostasy. Does that make sense? Have I got you thinking just a little bit about this? The trend of the life is what's important. What kind of trend do we see of Samson? Now, I'll let you know from the offset. I think he'll be there, Samson. I just, it's just a hunch. I can't prove it in Scripture any more than I can prove that he won't be. But it interests me at least that he's mentioned in Hebrews 11, that his, sto- his story is told us here in Judges chapter 14 and 15. So let's go there. Let's go back to Judges. Now, Samson's story, there's a lot of significance in what comes before it. What can you guys tell me about Manoah? For those of you that don't know, Manoah is Samson's father. Yeah. Where? Oh, sorry, Judges chapter 13 is where we find the story of leading up to Samson's birth. And the reason why I'm asking this is because oftentimes when we're reading the Bible, we like to jump in straight to these, these little profiles. Let me read about Samson. But you can't really understand Samson's narrative if you don't first understand who his parents are. It's important. It's the reason why their story is recorded. So Judges chapter 13 starts off with Israel conquered by the Philistines. And the children of Israel did evil again in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord delivered them into the hand of the Philistines forty years. And there was a certain man of Zorah, of the family of the Danites, whose name was Manoah, and his wife was barren and bare not. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto who? Appeared unto who? The woman. And said unto her, Behold now, thou art barren and bearest not, but thou shalt conceive and bear a son. Now therefore beware, pray thee, and drink not wine nor strong drink, and eat not any unclean thing. For lo, thou shalt conceive and bear a son, and no razor shall come upon his head. For the child shall be a Nazarite unto God from the womb, and he shall begin to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. Then the woman came and told her husband. So why would the angel not just come and tell the woman when she's with her husband? Why approach the woman when she's alone? It's not common for angels to appear to women in the Scripture. This is almost a direct parallel with the nativity scene, with the angel that comes to Mary. There's a lot of similarities even between the phrasing. But why come to Manoah's wife when Manoah's not around? I think there's something in it. Let me tell you why. Then the woman came and told her husband, saying, A man of God came unto me, And his countenance was like the countenance of an angel of God, very terrible. But I asked him not whence he was, neither told he me his name. 
But he said unto me, Behold, thou shalt conceive and bear a son, and now drink no wine nor strong drink, neither eat any unclean thing, for this child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb to the day of his death. Then Manoah entreated the Lord and said, O my Lord, let the man of God which thou didst send come again to us and teach us what we shall do unto the child that shall be born. Picture this. An angel shows up to the woman and says, you're going to have a child and this is what you should do. She goes and tells her husband, I just met an angel and he told me that I'm going to have a child and this is what I should do. Manoah's response is, okay, let me go and pray. I'm going to pray that God would send an angel to let us know if we're going to have a child and exactly what we should do. Do you see the problem there? The angel has already showed up. It's already come to the woman. It's already given specific instructions as to what she should do. But Manoah says, well, I'd like to experience that for myself. Okay. Verse 9, And God hearkened to the voice of Manoah. Listen to this. The Bible said God listened to what Manoah said. And the, la- the angel of the Lord came again unto the woman. I'm not making this up. Manoah said, Lord, I'm going to need you to send an angel to let us know whether we're really having a child and exactly what we should do. And the Lord says, Manoah, good point. I'm going to send an angel. <laughs> And so he sends an angel to Manoah's wife again. And God hearkened to the voice of Manoah, and the angel of God came again unto the woman as she sat in the field. And it makes a point to let us know, but Manoah, her husband, was not with her. And the woman made haste and ran and showed her husband and said unto him, Behold, the man hath appeared unto me. That came unto me the other day. And Manoah arose and went after his wife and came to the man. Listen to this brother and said, Are you the man? Is it you? (laughs) Because last night, my wife told me that she met someone that looked like an angel and that he said that we were going to have a baby and exactly what we should do from that point forward. So I prayed that an angel would come and speak to us and tell us if we were going to have a baby and what we should do from that point forward. And now she's just told me that she just saw an angel and he said we're going to have a baby and what we should do from that time forward. Is he, are you that guy? Ladies, bear with us. <laughs> All right, just have a little patience, okay? (laughs) And he said, I am. (laughs) Yes, that would be me. I'm that guy, Manoah, just in case you're wondering. And so Manoah said, now, let the words come to pass. (laughs) What should we do with the child? How shall we order the child and how shall we do unto him? And the angel of the Lord said, Manoah, I already spoke to your wife. (laughs) Of all that I said unto the woman, let her beware. Oh, this is great. 
She may not eat of anything. Yes, to spell it out to him. She may not eat of anything that cometh of the vine, neither let her drink wine or strong drink, nor eat any unclean thing. All that I commanded her, let her observe. In other words, Manoah, I've already told her. So you just have to read it, guys. Like, it's what it says. Why is, why is that a story? Why couldn't it just be said that Manoah's wife was told those things and so that's what she had to do? You know why I think? Because clearly, Manoah cannot accept a simple thus saith the Lord. Manoah needs to experience it for himself. Are you with me? Manoah needs to experience it for himself. It's all well and good that you've said that you've had an experience with God and He's told us what to do, but I'm going to need to see that with my own eyes. That's the father of Samson. Do you see now why context is important? The chapter finishes off with this, And the woman bare a child and called his name Samson, and the child grew and the Lord blessed him. It almost sounds like that passage in Luke chapter 1 where it talks about Christ growing up. And, at t- and the Spirit of the Lord began to move him in the camp of Dan between Zorah and Eshtal. What did I miss out? Did the Spirit of the Lord begin to move on Samson, yes or no? But there's something else in there. It says that the Spirit of the Lord began to move him at times. This is an introduction to a character like no other. The Spirit of, of God is with Samson sometimes. In stark contrast to, I believe, what this story is actually trying to point to, that being the birth of Christ Himself, whom the Spirit was with at all times. Samson, it says, the Spirit of the Lord began to move on him at times. And you know, even when you look at the actual prophecy in chapter 13, verse 5, it says, the child shall be a Nazarite unto God from the womb, and he shall begin to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. The prophecy, you see, the prophecy doesn't actually say that he will complete this deliverance against the Philistines, but he'll at least get it going. It's almost like it's trying to give us a heads up that the guy to whom we're looking forward to hasn't got it all together. The very first time we're introduced to Samson, the Spirit of the Lord begins to move him at times. When you look at this in the Hebrew, the at times is the same kind of word that's used when it talks about the Spirit of God and His interactions with both Pharaoh and Nebuchadnezzar. The Spirit of God is doing something. He's moving, but He's not really present in His fullness. And Samson went down to Timnath and saw a woman in Timnath of the daughters of the Philistines. And he came up and told his father and his mother and said, 
I have seen a woman in Timnath of the daughter of the Philistines. Now therefore get her for me to wife. Then his father and his mother said unto him, Is there never a woman among the daughters of thy brethren or among all thy people that thou goest to take a wife of the uncircumcised Philistines? So those of you that have been with us for the entire time, you should be pretty used to now this flagging process. What would be the flag in that sentence? Anyone know? Anyone got an idea? If you're not sure, just read it again. In that verse, what's the flag? Let's read it one more time. Is there never a woman among the daughters of thy brethren or among all my people that thou goest to take a wife of the uncircumcised Philistines? Manoah comes to Samson and says, Samson, is there never going to be a time when you choose one of our women? What's the implication there? That this is not the first time. This is not the first time that Samson has been interested in someone outside of his people. Is there never a time? You, you're allowed to peer a little bit in behind the scenes of this family dynamic. Manoah comes and says, Samson, is there never going to be a time when you just choose one of our women or one of my people? You sense that they've had this experience before. But you know what the case is with Samson? Them just telling him that he shouldn't be with a Philistine isn't enough. He needs to experience it for himself. I wonder where he got it from. I wonder where he got it from. You know, that's one thing that scares me to death about having children. That they might actually resemble me that I might have one of those moments where I catch a glimpse of myself in a much smaller and far more energetic being. Scares me to death. Woo! Scares her too, you know. Can you imagine a smaller version of you being able to do more than you? Grace is sufficient. Praise the Lord. What a testimony. Praise the Lord. His grace is sufficient. It's still scary though. I'm still a little bit scared. Samson is his father's son. And it seems like he's willing to go against his parents and their opinions in favor of what pleases him well. You can read the rest of the story. But I want to spend just a little bit more time speaking about our introduction to Samson. That the Spirit of God begins to move upon Samson at what? At times. Case study number one, verse five. Then went Samson down and his father and his mother to Timnath and came to the vineyards of Timnath and behold, a young lion roared against him and the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him and he rent him as he would rent a kid and he had nothing in his hand but he told not his father or his mother what he had done. Samson heads down to his wife's house or his, you know, they're not married yet maybe. 
heads down, perhaps even on the way to the marriage ceremony, and he encounters a lion. He's in front of his parents, so much so that they never even hear of this experience. A lion roars against him, and they're none the wiser. And he, he rips this lion open like he would a kid. In other words, like he would something quite small and weak. But he's only able to do so because the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. Did you catch that? The Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him and then. Now, I don't think the Spirit of the Lord stayed with him, though. There's a reason why he didn't tell his parents. We find that in verse 8. And after a time, he returned to take her and he turned aside to see the carcass of the lion. It's like, oh yeah, I remember the last time I came down here, there was a lion, yeah, and I ripped it open, yeah. Let me go and see what's there, and he goes there and there's, there's honey in the carcass of the lion. My brother would have had to be very hungry. There's honey in the carcass of the lion. He takes the honey and he eats it, and catch this, he gives the honey to his parents knowing full well that this Nazarite vow forbids him from touching anything dead. The Spirit of the Lord comes upon him in a mighty way, but then Samson no doubt departs from that Spirit. Then they get married. And his father went down into the feast of the woman. Doesn't mention if his mother went or not. And Samson made there a feast... For so used the young men to do. And it came to pass when they saw him that they brought 30 companions to be with him. Do you know who they are? They are the ones that live in Timnath. They are the Philistines. Samson's wedding celebration is in the land of the Philistines. Samson is an Israelite marrying a non-Israelite, having the wedding ceremony in a non-Israelite place. And I'll just be honest with you, especially young people today, very upfront, listen to me. If you find yourself in a situation where your interests are keened by someone of the opposite sex that is not of your faith, you may think it's a light thing to get involved, but trust me, it's not. And I can speak of that from personal experience. I've been a Christian for almost eight years. My wife has been a Christian for all of her life. She was born as a Seventh-day Adventist. No one's born a Christian, but you can be born into the church, I guess. She was in the church. I wasn't. And you know what happened? God happened. God happened. God got involved, and somehow then this happened. Now I'm a Christian. Now I'm a Seventh-day Adventist. Praise the Lord. Amen? Amen. But since that time, we've had so many young people come to us and say, oh, I just wanted to let you know because I heard your talk about relationships. And, you know, there's this guy, and he's just so nice. (laughs) Like he's practically a Christian. But he's a Buddhist. 
but he's really, really nice, and he's a really good guy. And I think, you know, if, you know, I think I'll be able to bring him into the church. Like, really? Ah. Finally, I've been introduced to the Holy Spirit. Hi, nice to meet you. Because you're not bringing anyone anywhere. Because ten, 11 times out of 10, it's them that pull you out. When you're standing, when you're standing up higher than someone else, and I believe Christianity is the highest platform that we can stand, when you're standing up here, regardless of how strong you are, it is going to be much more difficult for you to lift someone up here than it is for them to pull you down. Gravity. It takes no effort for me just to step off the stage. But I had to have a quick pant when I jumped up. It's so much easier for someone to pull you down from your very high standards than it is for you to lift them up. So if you feel like, you know, the Holy Spirit's really upon you and moving you down to Timnath to save this wonderful looking species, then God help you. Because that's the only way it's going to work. And please, don't tell me about your parents. Don't tell me that it happened with your parents and now you're here and that's great. Praise the Lord. Yeah, I'm not saying that God is no longer in the business of working miracles. I'm just saying that we've been told not to test Him. Take the word of the Lord and run. Go. Make decisions based on biblical principles. Amen? All right, back to Samson. So Samson has this experience at the wedding where he's making friends. He's making friends of Philistines. And it came to pass, verse 11, when they saw him that they brought 13 companions to be with him, some friends, and Samson said unto them, I will now put forth a riddle unto you. Uh, what? What? Excuse me? Why? Why? What's the point? Is this a game? <laughs> this is the man who is meant to deliver the Israelites from the Philistines, and he is literally in the midst of them. And he's like, hey guys, want to play a game? Can I tell you a riddle? I've got a really good one. You're never going to guess it. I will now put forth a riddle unto you. And if you can certainly declare it me within seven days of the feast and find it out, then I will give you 30 sheets and 30 change of garments. Wow. But if you cannot declare it me, then shall you give me 30 sheets and 30 change of garments. Oh, the stakes have been set. I wonder who's going to win. Fascinating. And he said unto them, here's the riddle. Out of the eater came forth meat, and out of the strong came forth sweetness. <laughs> and they could not in three days understand the riddle. I wonder why. <laughs> I wonder why. Because it's some dead lion that he met on the way down that he hid in some bush and now it's covered in honey. Why, Samson? Like, 
Like, why is this? This is inspiration. This is this is scripture. <laughs> they couldn't get it. So. Came to the seventh day, and they said unto Samson's wife, Entice thy husband that he may declare unto us this riddle, lest we burn thee and thy father's house with fire. You know when you have those friends that just take games too far? It's like, guys, it's not that deep. It's not that deep. You know what's at stake? 30 sheets and 30 changes of garment. Do you think, though, that's why they really want to know? Do you think they just desperately need some more sheets? Going to start a hotel business. They're 30 sheets short. You know what it is? They just don't want to lose. Do you know why they don't want to lose? Because they don't want to lose to an Israelite. Cool story, bro. (laughs) And Samson's wife wept before him and said, Thou dost but hate me and lovest me not. Oh. Thou hast put forth a riddle unto the children of my people and hast not told it me. Do you know what happens when you unite yourself with people that are not in your faith? Stupidness. You end up finding yourself having these ridiculous conversations, arguing about absolutely nothing worth anything. Oh, you you said something against my people and now they're upset and I need you to tell me something. Get a grip. And she went before him seven days while the feast lasted. And it came to pass on the seventh day that he told her because she lay sore upon him. Oh, happy marriage indeed. She lay sore upon him. What a difference in just seven days. Because last week he said, oh, but she pleaseth me well. And now he's saying, oh, but she hurts me so. One week and of course, you have those celebrities that just get divorced in like 48 hours. It's just, it's just a weekend experience. And the men of the city went to him on the seventh day before the sun went down. What is sweeter than honey? And what is stronger than a lion? And he said unto them, <laughs> If you have not plowed with my heifer... <laughs> you would not have found out my riddle. Samson's upset. They found out his riddle. Verse 19 baffles me. I'll be honest, I don't have an answer for this one. All right, I do. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon him, and he went down to Ashkelon and slew 30 men of them and took their spoil and gave change of garments unto them which expounded the riddle. And his anger was kindled, and he went up to his father's house. The Spirit of the Lord comes upon Samson and sends him down and he just starts to slay Philistines. But you know what he does after that? Do you know what he does after that? Anyone catch what he does after that? He goes home. Look at the next time we see the Spirit of the Lord really come upon Samson. Judges chapter 15. 
The people are about to, they've captured him and now they're going to try and slay him. And it says here in verse 14, And when he came unto Lehi, the Philistines shouted against him, and the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him, and the cords that were upon his arms became as flax that was burnt with fire, and his bands loosed from off his hands. And he found a new jawbone of a donkey and put it on his hand and took it and slew 1,000 men. The Spirit of God moves upon Samson at times. And I would argue that those times that we see in Scripture are times when God is trying to do the best that He can with what He's got. If you go back to Judges chapter 14, when Samson is about to choose his wife, it says in verse 4, but his father and mother knew not that it was of the Lord. Not that the Lord had sent him down to Timnath to take that woman as his wife, but that the Lord sought an occasion against the Philistines. In other words, God is trying to use Samson to defeat the Philistines. At any opportunity he can, he sends the Holy Spirit, and he's like, now, Samson, you can destroy them now and liberate your people. You can bring freedom to them. You can fulfill the prophecy that you deliver your people. You know why I think Samson doesn't tell his parents about the lion? Not just because he shouldn't have taken the honey. Here's what I think. I think that Samson is ashamed. I think Samson is ashamed of who he is. Because if the Lord does something that miraculous through you, if your life is at stake because a lion is about to rip you to shreds, and the Holy Spirit comes upon you in such a way that you're able to rip that lion open like there's no tomorrow. If you don't testify of that experience, it's because it's one you didn't want. In fact, every time that we see the Spirit of God come upon Samson, it's not because he asked. The Spirit just comes upon Samson. Oftentimes when his life is in danger, as if God is simply trying to save this man. I need to keep him alive so that I can at least work the prophecy out in his life. There's a lion that's going to kill him. Well, let me give him the spirit. There's a thousand men that are about to trample him. Well, let me just throw him the jawbone of a donkey and just send him my spirit so he can get free. The story of Samson is the story of a man who has the Holy Spirit at times. And so I ask you, is it the story of Samson or is it the story of you? Is this Samson's experience only or can you testify in your own life that perhaps this is a prophecy of you and I? Perhaps we are these people, perhaps we are the ones that have the Holy Spirit at times. Can you imagine with me, please. Imagine if we had the Spirit of God all the time. What would church look like if the Spirit of God was present in every single believer that was there? What would GYC look like if the Spirit of God was present in every believer there? What would it look like? I don't know. We haven't seen it yet. It hasn't happened ever. God has been present in people, few as though they are, 
But the whole point about the last generation is not that God would use someone, but that God's Spirit would be present in all of His people. Never before has the world seen a time like that. They've seen Moses' face shine. They've seen other people's face shine. They've caught glimpses of Jesus being transfigured. They've come down having that experience, but never before has an entire people shown the glory of God. That's why this place exists. You know that, right? That's why GYC is a thing. That's why the Seventh-day Adventist Church is a thing. What a horrible testimony to have that the Spirit of God only used us at times. What about a life filled with the Holy Spirit? What could we do? Greater works than Jesus, he says. I read this chapter, these three chapters non-stop for about six months these years. I couldn't get out of it. Because never before within the Scriptures have I seen a clearer picture of myself. Starts off looking pretty promising, huh? but then you let go of the Spirit of God. Gets you back up. Gives you powerful experiences, spiritual highs. But then I let go again. This isn't the story of Samson, this is the story of Dean. I'm in the Bible. Spirit of God moves upon him at times. Last time the Spirit of God moves upon him, come with me to the end of the book, or at least to the end of his story. Verse 22, How be it that the hair of his head began to grow again after he was shaven? In fact, let's go back just a little bit. Verse 20, And she said, The Philistines be upon thee, Samson. You know the story. And he awoke out of his sleep and said, I will go out as at other times before and shake myself. In other words, I've been in this situation before. People have been upon me before. The Philistines have surrounded me. It's no different this time. I'm just going to get up and go about and do the things that I always do. And he knew not that the Spirit of the Lord had departed him. Samson didn't know that he didn't have the Spirit. He assumed that the Spirit of God was in his life. He had no idea that he was gone. Howbeit the hair of his head began to grow again after he was shaven. Then the lords of the Philistines gathered them together for to offer a great sacrifice unto Dagon their God and to rejoice. For they said, Our God hath delivered Samson our enemy into our hand. And when the people saw him, see how they praised their God for their testimonies? And when the people saw them, saw him, they praised their God, for they said, Our God has delivered him. And when it came to pass, when their hearts were merry, that they said, Call for Samson, that he may make us sport. He's a clown, essentially. And they called for Samson out of the prison house, and he made them sport. He entertained them, and they set him between the pillars. And Samson said unto the lad that held him by the hand, Suffer me that I may feel the pillars upon the house, upon which the house standeth, that I may lean upon them. Now the house was full of men and women, and all the lords of the Philistines were there. 
And there were upon the roof about 3,000 men and women that beheld while Samson made sport. And Samson called unto the Lord and said, O Lord God, remember me. I pray thee. This is only the second time in his life that we have record that Samson prayed. Do you want to know where the first time is? The first time is in chapter 15, verse 18. And he was a sore thirst and called on the Lord and said, Thou hast given this great deliverance into the hand of thy servant, and now shall I die for thirst and fall into the hand of the uncircumcised? But God clave a hollow place in the jaw, and water came out. And when, his, when he drunk, his spirit came upon him again. The two times Samson actually speaks to God are the two times when his life is most in danger and God chooses to save him. Do you know what happens after his first experience in prayer? <laughs> and he judged Israel in the days of the Philistines 20 years. Then went Samson to Gaza and saw a harlot and went into her. And so the Spirit of the Lord comes upon Samson. Look what it says, verse 28 of chapter 16. He said, O Lord God, remember me, I pray thee, and strengthen me, I pray thee, only this once, O God, that I may be at once avenged of the Philistines for my two years. I've had so many conversations with people where I'm asking them, is this a prayer of repentance? Is Samson apologizing for his mess? This is what he says. Oh God, remember me that I may be at once avenged. It sounds quite self-centered, but I can't judge that. I can't say whether he's really repentant or not. All I can say is that even though it doesn't say that the Spirit of God came upon Samson at this time, that it's certainly implied as he pushes down those pillars and fulfills the prophecy. He did not deliver them against the Philistines, but he did begin it. Samson is the tragic story of a man that was just at times moved by the Spirit of God. What I think is most tragic about this story is this fact. When I'm reading through, I noticed... And I can't call these coincidences. That when Samson experiences the spirit of the Lord against the lion, he doesn't tell anyone. That later on, after he experiences the spirit of the Lord in defeating those 30 friends that got the riddle, he runs home. You read later on that the Philistines actually did, in fact, burn his wife up and her, and her father's house. And he shows up vexed. And then he says this, look at Judges chapter 5, sorry, chapter 15. Then the Philistines said, verse 6, who hath done this? And they answered, Samson, the son-in-law of the Timnite. Because you know what he did? He, he caught 300 foxes. Don't miss this point, please. This is a man that God said was going to 
at least begin this deliverance. Samson could set his people free. The Spirit of the Lord comes upon him to just wipe Philistines out whenever it has the opportunity. And Samson is so vexed at what they've done to his wife, whom he probably didn't even love at this point anymore. But instead of going up against the Philistines, he expounds his energy on catching 300 foxes. Now, I don't know if you guys have ever chased a fox before. But if you've ever caught one, wow. To catch 300 of them and to tie their tails together around some sort of gigantic candlestick is pretty impressive. It's supernatural, dare I say. Instead of going to destroy the Philistines, he catches their foxes, sets them on fire, and sends them into the cornfields to destroy the Philistines' crops. Yes, he's trying to do them damage, but he's definitely not trying to destroy them. And then look what he says here in verse 7. And Samson said unto them, Though you have done this, Yet, I, yet will I be avenged of you, and after that, I'll stop. So because of what you've done to my wife, I'm gonna, I just want you guys to know, listen, this is how it works, okay? Because you killed my wife, you know, you burnt her house, burnt her alive, burnt her father, you shouldn't have done that, guys. What I'm going ha- to have to get revenge on you for that, but then, but then once, we're, once we're even, I'll, I'll stop. Sound fair? I can't just let it go. You, come on, you know me. I can't just let it go. But once I'm finished getting my revenge, I'll just, I'll cease. I'll stop. We'll call it, we'll call it evens. It's a tie. Does this sound like a man whose sole goal is to deliver his people? Here's my hypothesis. Samson wants to be a Philistine. He's attracted to Philistines. The only friends we're ever told about Samson are Philistines. When he could be delivering them, he's playing games with Philistines. When he could be destroying them, he's taking their gates to the top of hills. When he's bored with being used by God to deliver his people, he's going to visit Philistine prostitutes. Samson wants to be a Philistine. Samson's mission is to be nothing like the Philistines, but to deliver them. And this is why I present to you Adventism's greatest lie. Because this book tells me that we are called to be set apart to be different from the world, as distinct as we can be without coming across as just crazy weirdos. We sometimes swing to that extreme. But I wonder, wonder if some of us wish we were on the other side. And you may say, no, not me. I'm happy I'm a Seventh-day Adventist. I'm happy I'm a Christian. I'm happy I know Jesus. Who said this was about happiness? 
Since when has the chief goal of this life been about happiness? That's Samson's message. She pleases me well. Happiness is not the goal. Holiness is. We haven't been put here to have happy lives. We've been put here to have holy lives. To live in the holiness that Christ has offered us. To not just be moved by the Holy Spirit at times, but to be filled with the Holy Spirit till our cup overflows. Samson has a special calling to deliver his people. Please don't think that our calling is any different. He wants to be a Philistine. Praise God for this peak. Amen? This last act of faith. I believe that God has a plan. A unique plan for you and I. No two people are called to be the same. Every one of us has an individual, unique calling from God. And there's only two paths. You stay true to the Spirit of God's moving upon your heart. And you do the work that has been given to you faithfully. Or you just let the Spirit move you at times. God's merciful. Even when you turn your back on Him, He uses the Spirit to use you at times. You know this. You've seen this. You know there's been times when you've been so far from God, but the Spirit of God still comes and still fills you and still uses you. And you're like, how did that even happen? I don't deserve that. You've never deserved it. Every time the Spirit of God comes upon us, it's an act of mercy. It's not a reward. We never deserve the Spirit. Yet He wants to live within us, not to visit. We're we're too content, guys. We're too content with being visited by the Spirit of God. He's meant to live here. This is meant to be His house, it's meant to be His temple. We're not meant to be like the world. We're meant to reach them. We're meant to reach them. That was Christ's ministry. Christ's ministry wasn't in reach, and Christ's ministry wasn't outreach. Christ's ministry was just reach. Just reach. And you can't really reach the world if all they're seeing is that sometimes you love God and sometimes you don't. Filled with the Spirit, but only at times. Imagine how the story could end. The bottom line is that God is going to use us. God is going to use us the Spirit of God will use us in the end, one way or another. 
either as a way mark pointing people in the right direction or a warning sign telling them to come no further. We have a choice of ending this the right way with the Lord on our side or we can end up with Sam- like Samson. Does the work get finished in the end by Samson? Yes. Does he, complete, does he complete his mission in the end? Yeah, sure, but how? After being mocked, after losing his eyes, after losing the symbol of his righteousness, of his purity, of his calling. Samson's testimony will be all of our testimonies if we don't allow the Spirit of God to live in our hearts. And the only way the Spirit of God is getting in is if we invite Him. And the only way we're ever even going to want to invite Him is if we begin this relationship. I'll be honest with you guys. It is impossible, if you haven't found this out already, to have a relationship with God outside of His Word. It doesn't work sense. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't work. You can't have a one-way relationship. It's it's not going to happen. Think about the relationships that you have right now. If you were the only one communicating in that relationship, how quickly would that relationship break down? Your relationship with God cannot survive on prayer alone. It's not just about what you're saying to God. It's about if you're listening to what God is saying to you. And if we're not in this word, if we're not reading this word, if this is not our daily bread, we're always going to have these roller coaster experiences. And I don't know about you, but I'm kind of tired of them. I'm kind of tired of having these mountaintop experiences when I'm here at GYC and then going home right to the gutters. Sometimes moved upon the Spirit of God and sometimes just, just Dean. My prayer My prayer is that the Spirit of God will be present in my life. Permanently. Permanently. That's how the work will get finished. That is the only clear path to the end. If we don't have Him, if we don't have the Spirit of God, then we're bound to be Samson's. Is Samson going to be in heaven? Yes? No? Who knows? We'll find out when we get there. But the fact that we're unsure tells us that something, something went wrong. The call for GYC of 2018 is that you will take hold of this and will take hold of the Spirit of God, the lamp and the oil, and go forth to the end. If that's your desire, I'm going to ask that you stand to your feet. I don't know about you guys, but I, I'm, I'm ready to go home.
Not from GYC. I'm not ready to go home from GYC yet. California is great, but it's not that great. I'm ready to go home, home. But if we're going to get anywhere, we're only going to get there together. It's up to you. It's up to you to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. It's up to you to be praying daily for the Holy Spirit to be present in your life. And it's up to you to look out for your friends that clearly need Him. The Spirit of God wants to do something powerful in your life. Let's let Him. Amen? Let's let Him. Father in heaven, Father, we want to be filled with your Spirit. We don't want these temporary experiences where sometimes you use us and sometimes you have to leave. Where sometimes there's deliverance and sometimes there's peace and other times we're just messing around with the harlots. Father, we want an experience with you, even if it begins today, that never ends. A relationship with you that only goes closer. Father, it's our desire to walk with you to the end. In Jesus' name we pray. This message was recorded at the GYC to the end in Houston, Texas. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to inspire young people to be Bible-based, Christ-centered, and soul-winning Christians. To download or purchase other resources like this, visit us online at gycweb.org.